Welcome to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. As a veteran senior pastor, Dr. Sullivan understands the importance of Bible teaching in the spiritual growth and development of God's people. Dr. Sullivan's method of teaching the Bible is to read and carefully explain each chapter and verse in clear and understandable terms so the student of the Bible gains the full understanding of God's Word. Now prepare yourself to learn and grow as Dr. Sullivan teaches through the Bible. Well, welcome to another session of Teaching Through the Bible. I'm Dr. Kenneth Sullivan. Now today we'll be studying in chapter 9. We'll cover chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And as usual, I'll be using uh, teaching from the New International Version. So let's jump right in and get started. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm reading verses 1 and 2. Do I not have as much freedom as anyone else? Am I not an apostle? Haven't I seen Jesus, our Lord, with my own eyes? Isn't it because uh, of, of my hard work that you are in the Lord? Even if others think I am not an apostle, I certainly am to you. For you are living proof that I am the Lord's apostle. Now, some people had questioned Paul's uh, authenticity as an apostle here. And uh, they were saying that he was not one of the original uh, uh the, one of the original apostles. Of course, he wasn't with the 12 who, uh, who were with Jesus. He wasn't one of the original 12 that Jesus handpicked. He was not there after Jesus rose from the dead and showed himself publicly and openly. Uh, he was not in the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell and was poured out. So because of this, because he was chosen as an, as an apostle later on or revealed as an apostle later on, uh, there are some who were actually questioning his apostleship. Uh, not only was Paul not among Jesus' disciples, he, he persecuted the church because he thought that Christianity was a cult that was uh, robbing Judaism, that was assaulting Judaism and leading the Jewish people out of the, the real, real Jewish religion, which of course was Judaism, into a cult. And so he attacked it. Uh, he had people persecuted and, and, uh, executed. He was there when Stephen was stoned. So, um, but later God miraculously called him, tra uh, transformed him, uh, changed him and, and called him into ministry as an apostle. Uh, and Paul uh, has done as much work or more than, than most of the apostles wrote most of the new, uh, Testament. So, but those who, who, who sought to undermine Paul's work uh, may have raised these points, the fact that he was not there in the beginning with the original ones. Um, and they attacked his apostleship and raised doubt about it. And Paul addressed these issues by insisting that he was as much of an apostle as any of the others. In fact, because uh, he had been the, the, the very one who, who had labored in the gospel and led the Corinthians to Christ, he was definitely an apostle to them if he wasn't to anybody else. So because of his great humility, uh, defending his apostleship was kind of degrading to Paul. It was distasteful to him. Uh, but he couldn't keep silent uh, in the face of this because the saints would be hurt by it if they were uh, led into believing that Paul wasn't uh, a true apostle, then then their faith would be brought into question, and a lot of other uh, doctrinal, important doctrinal issues would be challenged. So 
Paul had to stand up not just for himself, but for the gospel itself. And Paul had kept silent the false prophets and, and false teachers who were raising the, these issues and sought to discredit him would gain the opportunity to mislead the saints and, and destroy his work, work that he had done, um, uh, struggled so, so hard to, to bring about. And, and, uh, so that put him at a disadvantage. And so Paul had to speak up on behalf of his own apostleship and to defend his work. Now I'm reading verses three through six. This is my answer to those who question my authority as an apostle. Don't we have the right to live in your homes and share your meals? Don't we have the right to bring a Christian wife along with us as the other disciples and the Lord's brothers and Peter do? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have to work to support ourselves? So because of this question about Paul's apostleship, some of the saints were uh, a bit reluctant to extend him the same hospitality and courtesy and support that they were extending to Peter and James and the other apostles who, who had been with Jesus. Paul was offended by this kind of disrespect, especially since he was the one who had led them to Christ and established the church in Corinth um, in the first place. So he, he mentioned the fact that the other apostles were treated with, with greater dignity and respect when they traveled to uh, about to minister. Paul even mentioned Peter and James by name as, as examples of how the other apostles were treated in comparison to uh, the treatment that he was receiving, um, he and Barnabas. So um, he even mentioned the fact that they they had the right not only to bring themselves, Peter and James, but they, they took their wives along on some of their missionary journeys to visit the churches. So the other apostles received full support so they could be free to spend all of their time ministering to the people. But Paul and his companions were being slighted in this area uh, and in regard to support and hospitality. And often Paul worked with his own hands to supply his needs and, and the needs of those who were with him. Now I'm reading verses 7 through 10. What soldier has to pay his own expenses? And have you ever heard of a farmer who harvests his crops and doesn't have the right to eat some of it? What shepherd takes care of a flock of sheep and isn't allowed to drink some of the milk? And this isn't merely human opinion. Doesn't God's law say the same thing? For the law of Moses says, do not keep an ox from eating as it treads out the grain. Do you suppose God was thinking only about oxen when he said this? Wasn't he also speaking to us? Of course he was. Just as farm workers who plow the fields and thresh the grain expect a share of the harvest, Christian workers should be paid by those they serve. Now, Paul defended his and Barnabas' right to, to support from the church by, by making a practical uh, a practical common sense argument. He gave the example of soldiers and farmers and shepherds to, uh, to appeal to their sense of reason. It's common knowledge that no soldier is expected to pay his own expenses. No farmer or shepherd gathers a harvest or tends a flock without earning uh, or eating and drinking some of the, uh, some of the products that come from the flock. Then, then Paul goes on to remind them that even the law of Moses commands 
uh, them not to muzzle an ox. Don't put a muzzle on an ox so he couldn't eat. They use oxen to, to plow their fields and to tread out the grain, to gather the grain. And, and so God, as a, as a, a practical uh, issue, told him, don't muzzle the ox when he goes through there. Let him eat as much as he wants while he's uh, treading that grain. And of course, God wasn't just thinking about oxen when he said that. He was using that to illustrate the importance that people should get a compensation for the work that they do uh, in the ministry uh, or wherever uh, we are working. We deserve to be taken care of or we deserve to be paid as those who are laborers. Paul used this little reminder to illustrate uh, you know, this fact that it's fair. It's fair to take care of people who invest in you. It's fair to be considerate uh, and to meet the needs of those who are ex- expending energy and making sacrifices for your well-being. Now I'm reading verses 11 and 12. We have planted good spiritual seed among you. Is it too much to ask in return for mere food and clothing? If you support others who preach to you, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported? Yet, we've never used this right. We would rather put up with anything than put an obstacle in the way of the good news about Christ. Okay, so it must have been a, a very embarrassing thing to Paul to, to have to make this argument on his own behalf. It's, it's really humiliating to have to argue your own value to people, uh, to, to speak up for yourself. And of course, sometimes we do because sometimes there's no one else to speak up for us. Uh, but there was more than Paul's interest here. There was an interest of right and wrong. It was, it, it was wrong not to, to take care of the needs of those who were investing in them spiritually. That was just wrong. It went beyond what Paul was suffering and the sacrifices that he was being, uh, that he was making and the disrespect that was being shown to him. Was, the broader issue was that fair is fair and right is right. That it is right to compensate people when they do something of value for you. And so Paul is using this argument for himself, of course, because he is humiliated. Uh, he is offended by the fact that they don't uh, think enough of him to do this voluntarily. But as the uh, pastor or the apostle, in a sense, he was a, an apostle, a, a pastor over pastors, and he brought out these churches, it's his responsibility to, to teach these saints, these basic things, or they would be neglected in that area of teaching. So even though it seems self-serving, um, it's important to teach people what they need to know, even when it seems that it serves our interests. We, because we're, uh, we're reaching something that's beyond just our mere interest. We're reaching into their interests and into the interests of the church. We're doing good for them and we're doing good for the church when we teach people what is right and what is wrong. Now, their hesitancy to to extend financial support to Paul while readily supporting other traveling preachers, it cut him deeply. It cut him to the quick. He was hurt by this. But Paul wasn't timid about making his uh, and letting them know about his right, making his rights known. Uh, and after making his case, 
for why he and Barnabas should receive material support, he determined not to accept any support from them at all, uh, out of concern that it might hinder his work among them. So he didn't want them saying that you're just saying this to serve yourself. You're just saying these things because uh, you want our support and you want our help. You want money from us. No, so Paul said, uh, rather than invalidating your minds what I'm teaching, um, I'll work for myself and my company. We, we won't accept anything from you so that you can't say that we're just teaching this uh, to serve ourselves. Paul wanted to uh, to avoid having any of them think that he was taking advantage of them. And so he didn't want to hinder the message that he was trying to deliver them. And rather than risk this, he resolved to work with his own hands and to support himself. Now, it's important to note that this decision uh, not to accept financial support from the Corinthian churches uh, at this time, uh, the Corinthian church was not a reflection of Paul's normal routine. He did accept work, uh, help from the other churches. He would go in and labor for them. Uh, he would preach and teach, raise up ministry leaders, establish these churches, oversee them, send someone to oversee them or raise someone else up to oversee them. He did everything that was in their interest, but he accepted support from them. Uh, a lot of the other churches uh, weren't as reluctant to, to help him. And so he accepted their support and he accepted their help. Now, I'm reading verses 13 through 15. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their meals from the food brought to the temple as, an, as offerings? And those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrifice, uh, sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord gave orders that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. Yet I've never used any of these rights, and I am not writing this to suggest that I would like to start now. In fact, I would rather die than lose my distinction of preaching without charge. So, <coughs> excuse me, the temple workers receive compensation for their work by being led from the offerings that were, were offered, okay? Again, the temple workers receive compensation for their work by being fed, I should say, from the offerings that were offered. Paul has used this information to further illustrate how God planned for those who were called to ministry to be cared for by the people they serve. Now, Jesus said, the workman is worthy of his hire. And he commanded those that he sent out to minister to people uh, that they should accept help from those that, that they went out to minister to. Um, God planned for those who were called to ministry to be cared for by the people that they serve. Jesus said, again, the workman is worthy of his hire. And then, and then again, he, he commended them. And on one occasion, he said, don't, don't take extra for yourself. Uh, because those that you serve should minister to your needs. And that, that's in Matthew chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. He says, don't take any money with you. 
don't carry a traveler's bag with an extra coat and sandals or even a walking stick. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. That's again, Matthew 10 and 9 and 10 in the New Living Translation. Well, Paul was not simply arguing uh, this point for his own benefit, as I said earlier. He had determined not to accept any help from those uh, Corinthian saints because of their attitude toward him. His goal had not shifted from, uh, 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 well, actually his goal had shifted. He At first he was uh, speaking on his own behalf because, of course, he was fit, offended. But as he continued on teaching in this vein, his, his, his goal shifted from correcting the uh, the thinking of the Corinthian saints toward him to the broader matter again of, of correcting their thinking about the whole issue of compensating people who uh, labor for them. The attitude of the Corinthians was in, in gross error and it needed correcting. And, and so Paul is doing his duty as a leader in the church to correct them on this issue. Now I'm reading verses 16 through 19. For preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I'm compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't do it. If I were doing this of my own free will, then I would deserve payment. But God has chosen me and given me this sacred trust, and I have no choice. What then is my pay? It is the satisfaction that I get from preaching the good news without expense to anyone, never demanding my rights as a preacher. This means I'm not bound to obey people just because they pay me. Yet, I have become a servant of everyone so that I can bring them to Christ. Now, in chapter 8, Paul talked about curtailing our freedom in the interest of we, our weaker brothers and sisters. In this chapter, he uses his own life as an example of doing just that. He had the freedom to be paid for his labor in uh, his labor in the gospel, but because uh, the Corinthians were weak in their attitude toward him, he decided not to demand pay. He, he decided to forego that right. So Paul also mentioned that sometimes people who pay the preacher think they should control the preacher. Uh, even today, it, it, it's not unusual um, for committees or boards to have a, uh, a certain amount of authority in a church to, uh, to seek influence. Uh, they may have a rightful authority. And churches are uh, operated by, by a deacon boards and, and, and uh, different other uh, boards sometimes um, that may um, interview and and, uh, and hire uh, pastors and bring them in. Uh, but uh, they sh certainly shouldn't try to dictate what the pastor preaches as it relates to the truth of the gospel. Uh, and so Paul is saying that uh, I don't want anybody trying to tell me uh, what to what I should or should not preach. My allegiance and my, my uh, complete submission is upon God. And so Paul refused to be bound by uh, this way of doing things. Of course, refusing payment is, 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 is not the only way to challenge uh, attitudes that fly in the face of what God is trying to do. But 
But in some cases, it's, it's better not to accept a pastorate or a position uh, than to have the members um, uh, want to force you to compromise your message. You have to be free to preach the full counsel of God. And uh, if there are people who don't want to hear uh, what God's word has to say, then, then that pastor should decide whether or not he wants to continue uh, in that arrangement. Paul is quick to follow up his comments by pointing out that while um, he will not allow financial support to control him, um, he willingly gives up his freedom for the sake of those who, who need him in the interest of winning people to Christ. So Paul's greatest interest was bringing people to Christ and developing those people in the things of Christ and helping them to grow up and become all that God wants him to be. Now I'm reading verses 20 through 23. When I'm with the Jews, I become one of them so that I can bring them to Christ. When I'm with those who follow the Jewish laws, I do the same, even though I'm not subject to the law, so that I can bring them to Christ. When I am with the Gentiles who do not have the Jewish law, I fit in with them as much as I can. In this way, I gain their confidence and bring them to Christ. But I do not discard the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are oppressed or weak, I share their oppression so that I might bring them to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone so that I might bring them to Christ. I do all this to spread the good news, and in doing so, I enjoy its blessings. So Paul was willing to go to, to great lengths to demonstrate an attitude of, of goodwill with a broad diversity of people. He's willing to move out of his own comfort zone in his search for common ground with people he sought to befriend and to lead to Christ. This is called friendship evangelism. Proverbs um, uh, chapter 18 and verse 24 says, a man that hath friends should show himself friendly. Now, one way to do this is to identify with the people that you're, you're trying to reach, that uh, uh, people who may seem vastly different in their culture from you. People are not as different from each other uh, as our cultures and our, our habits would indicate or have us to believe. There are many things that uh, people of all backgrounds share in common. A soul winner takes the time to study the cultures and the values and lifestyles of other people to, uh, to find the place of common ground. This is the place to start a discussion. This is the place to demonstrate similarities and, and to gain acceptance. When Jesus went into Samaria and the, the other Jewish people had no dealings at all with the Samaritans, he went there, sat on a well. Um, he struck up a conversation with the woman who came to the well about water. That's a, that's a common need that they both have. And so he used water and the well to, to, to bridge their cultures and to be able to, uh, to speak to her and bring her the truth and ultimately win her to Christ. Now, those who are determined to win souls study other people and, and, and learn about their cares and their concerns, and uh, they share those cares and concerns. Effective soul winners 
seek to become all things to all people. That's what Paul said. Now, this is not betraying who we are or being dishonest. It is a, a demonstrating a, a genuine interest in other people and, and their needs and their cares and their values. That's how you find a place to interface with other people. It's about knowing about them and what they care about. Paul expended the, the time and the energy to do this. And, and he was one of the greatest soul winners who ever lived. When Christians look for things to condemn, we become legalistic. Legalistic people do not make effective soul winners because they're raising up all of these differences and these are all of these objectives about people and how they live, things that God doesn't even have an issue with uh, most of the time. Uh, so people who are quick to look down on the customs and the cultures of other people tend to alienate themselves from the very people that they may be wanting to reach. There are times when those who claim, uh, when those who claim to be Christians may be guilty of allowing their cultural beliefs and their tradition to be elevated to a place equal or above the scripture. Even more damaging is the, is the tendency to allow these traditions to, to, to shape or influence, uh, how we interpret scripture. Um, example of that, one of the greatest blights on, uh, on our history, the history of the United States is, is that of American slavery, the slave trade and, and segregation of African Americans. The American Civil War, one of the bloodiest wars that was ever fought on, on American soil, was the direct result of the slave trade. And both the slave trade and the Civil War were outcomes of cultural traditions that influenced the interpretation of Scripture. Uh, false ministers and slaveholders and, and later segregationists after the war was over, those who taught segregation and separation of the races, they twisted the Scriptures and taught that slavery and segregation of the races was God's will. Nearly 700,000 American soldiers and civilians lost their lives because people allowed their tradition to shape the interpretation of Scripture in such a way that it defended white supremacy and slavery and, and segregation. And, and we're still, still struggling with the vestiges of these things today. People think that one race is superior to another and 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 they try to find that and prove that in scripture that's nothing but a lie i mean it's just it's just something from the from the pit jesus taught his followers this love your neighbors as yourselves that's matthew 22 uh, through 39 that doesn't matter what color your neighbor is or what racial or ethnic background he is love your neighbor as yourself and jesus also taught do for others what you would like them to do for you. This is a summary of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. That's Matthew 7 and 12. Those false ministers and false Christians who sought to promote and perpetuate slavery and segregation contradicted the, the clear teachings of scriptures and what Jesus taught by introducing their own traditions. And, and this misunderstanding of scripture brought such blindness and confusion that some people considered themselves to be spiritual while they were praying for God to help them to continue to enslave and oppress uh, their fellow human beings. Some military leaders were so misled that they prayed for victory while ordering thousands of, of young men to kill and, and to be killed 
defending the enslavement of their brothers and the oppression of their brothers and sisters. Slavery could not have survived and thrived as an institution without the aid of those who claim to be Christians. This kind of thing uh, it grows and, and it grows with the culture and it becomes a, 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 a cultural tradition that extends generationally. Jesus summarized his mission in Luke chapter four by commanding his disciples to do the following. He said, preach good news to the poor, proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the downtrodden will be freed from their oppressors, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. That's Luke 4 and 18 and 19. Genuine Christianity is based on Jesus's teaching that all of the law and all of the prophets are founded on love for God and, and for other human beings, regardless of race, color, or, or ethnic background. Jesus is a defender of the poor, of the oppressed, and he is not a defender of the oppressors. Paul modeled this kind of behavior when he wanted the, uh, the Christians to imitate him as he imitated Christ. He was he was even willing, willing to set aside his own Jewish customs and traditions to practice the customs of the people who were different than he was uh, in the interest of establishing friendships and trust and the end goal of winning people to Christ who were different than him. Now, like Jesus, Paul was even willing to bear some of the sinful practices of those he encountered without condemning them because he knew that he, he had to win them before he could change them, okay? Jesus didn't send us to condemn the world, but to save it. He became known as a friend of sinners. Jesus did. Why? Because he was around them. He went around them, and, and, and he went around them, and he demonstrated his value of them, how much um, he valued them by the time that he spent with them, uh, and he was able to redeem them. Paul was following the example that Jesus set when he be, when he said, I, I become all things to all people. So he was able to identify with all kinds of people, Paul was, without participating in their sin. Now I'm reading verses 24 through 27. Remember that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. You also must run in such a way that you will win. All athletes practice strict self-control. They do it, they do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I'm not like a boxer who misses his punches. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So Paul was absolutely focused on his goal, especially insightful is the part uh, of his letter, which says, I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. He didn't waste effort. He used the foot race to illustrate this point. Paul had his mind on mission, on his mission. He was focused on his mission. And uh, everything that he did was designed to bring him to the, uh, to the successful completion of his, of his mission. Paul used disciplined athletes to illustrate his attitude. Um, all good athletes practice strict self-control and, 
and discipline, and they spend hours practicing and, and honing their skills. Uh, they exert this kind of strict self-control for hours and weeks and days, preparing for a contest that sometimes lasts only a few minutes. That kind of intense focus takes time to develop, but it should be the goal of every Christian. It requires self-discipline, careful study, uh, calculation, prayer, and devotion to mission. And that's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be focused like that. Paul wasn't good at what he did. Paul was great at what he did. And as Christians, this should be our same ambition and attitude to be the very best that we can be for God here on earth. We must not settle for just being good. We must determine to be great at what we do. We need to follow the example of the great apostle Paul and train ourselves like athletes uh, in the area of our pursuit that, that God has given to us. And those of us who are pastors should study. Uh, we should pray, study the Bible and strategize and, and read books and prayerfully work on our sermons and work on our communication skills and seek uh, the wisdom from God for others that we might be able to, to bless the body of Christ and carry out the work that God has given to us. Whatever your calling is, we should uh, study Paul as an example of focus and discipline uh, and accomplishment for the kingdom of God. Amen. Well, that brings us to the close of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Next time we will cover chapter 10. Friend, if you're ever in the Indianapolis area, I want to uh, invite you to come visit us at one of our locations at New Direction Church. We're located at uh, 5330 East 38th Street. Uh, that's our uh, east location. And our north location is at 7701 East 82nd Street. Uh, you can get the service time by by uh, going to our website at ndcbetterlife.org. I look forward to seeing you at one of our services where my son, Kenneth Sullivan Jr., is the, is the senior pastor. He's doing a great job touching a lot, a, lot, a lot of lives. And I know that you'll be blessed if you come and visit with us. Well, until next time, I pray that God will bless you and keep you in good health and good strength and that God's richest blessings will be yours. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. We hope this program has benefited you in your Christian walk. For a free download of this program and to browse Dr. Sullivan's books, videos, and audio titles, visit our website, at EmergeCurriculum.com Please tune into our next teaching session on Vision Stream Network or listen on demand from our podcast.